0: When I was in Ohio a couple weeks ago, I remember uh, just all the different things about Ohio. Um, When I was a kid, in the first six years of my life, I lived in Ohio and my parents there as well, of course, too. uh, They were separated uh, by the time I was five. And uh, and anyway, so before that, when uh, we were uh, all together as a family, we'd go to different places. I'm, my mom's family, her parents were still lived there in Wadsworth, Ohio at that time. And my dad's family just lived in, in, in Wadsworth, Ohio as well, all together. And so it was a very close family. My dad's brothers were just like a half mile away from each other. And uh, my mom's sisters, some of them were still lived in the area. And one of the sisters, one of my mom's sisters, her name was Annette. And so uh, they lived a, in a farm, her and her husband, Ivan. And so my my aunt and uncle, we'd go and visit them every now and then uh, out on the farm. And they had a lot of different animals and stuff, and they had some horses. And I may have shared this story with you before, but uh, um, uh, my aunt and uncle had a, had a great farm out there. In fact, uh, my cousin Pam just posted up on the on Facebook page about how april 4th just yesterday would have been their 65th wedding anniversary both of them my uh, uh uncle and aunt, had passed away have passed away already but it uh, would have been an interesting uh, nice little time to celebrate with them but i remember going out to their farm with my my parents and visiting my aunt and uncle and uh, one of those particular visits i was able to go out there and uh, see the horses and of course ride on the horses and stuff like that and i I couldn't ride those horses very well, I I was always smacking up and down on my bottom on the horse and it always hurt. But uh, I had an opportunity to feed those horses and I remember my little tiny five year old fingers grabbed some grass and and fed it up to the horse like that and that big horse just chomped down on my fingers. I wasn't too pleased with that and I wasn't too pleased of being near horses after that. But uh, I I, I learned the hard way how to feed those horses. And you know, sometimes there's some confusion between horses and donkeys and mules. Um, You know, first off, the mule is a product of a male donkey called a jack and a female horse called a mare. And a donkey and a horse uh, come from the same species. So, but are some differences there between the horse and the donkey. Um, There's some physical features that are different. The horse has a longer face and the donkey has longer ears. Uh, as far as the hair of the, uh, of the horse, it's softer and, and flowing. The mane is flowing there. Also, too, the donkey is more stiff and bristly. The hair on, on the donkey is like that. As, as social creatures, uh, the horse is more uh, strong. has more of a strong flight response, trying to get out of there and, and take off no matter what. Um, and a donkey, though, is harder to startle they consider the risk before running or sticking around. Kind of surmise the situation and see what needs to be done. Horses, they stay in herds and larger groups, and they, they seem to mingle around with those a little bit more. Donkeys, they pair off. They, they, they build more of a strong bond with one, one of each other's kind, of other kind, and so not so much as a herd as, as horses are. And you probably have heard also, too, how donkeys can be stubborn. Well, it may seem that way because it's very difficult to force or frighten a donkey into doing something it perceives to be, be dangerous for whatever reason. But once a person has earned their confidence, they can be willing and very dependable in the work. So donkeys basically appear to be quite intelligent, uh, quite cautious, friendly, playful, and eager to learn. So the next time someone calls you a donkey, or whatever terminology they use to call you a donkey, thank them for it, because donkeys are pretty neat. And speaking of donkeys, we're going to catch a view from on top of the donkey that Jesus rode upon during his entrance into Jerusalem. And from that perspective, I trust we will see things a little differently. We need to I believe we need to catch the view from the donkey more often and change our perspective on things. Now, as we continue our series on the power of the cross uh, this Palm Sunday, we will witness Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. So, turn with me to Luke chapter 19, and I want to read to you uh, uh, maybe a familiar portion of Scripture, a trust, and a portion of Scripture that is usually read during this time of Palm Sunday. In Luke chapter 19, I'm going to start with verse 28 and read all the way down to the the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you, why are you t- un- untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. And Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Very appropriate portion of scripture. There's one episode of, uh, of the classic TV show, MASH. It was filmed from the viewpoint of the patient. Some of you probably uh, recognize this, this, this episode. A throat wound prevented the soldier who, turned into, who was turned into a patient from speaking, so he couldn't say anything. And watching the show through this lens enlightened the viewers and sparked a lot of creativity on the part of the writers, too. I'm sure many of us have uh, considered Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday from many different angles. But have you ever thought about the view from the donkey that day? What did Jesus himself see from on top of that donkey? He certainly took in every detail. The Gospel of Mark tells us this. He says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. But let's back up a bit here to catch the context. As a morning dawned that day, Jesus was in Bethany. And a few days earlier, as you remember, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And lead, needless to say, the area was buzzing with the news. And Nearby in Jerusalem, the city was beginning to, to swell with the people there and arriving to celebrate the Passover. And we can guess that very few people missed hearing all the talk about Lazarus and Jesus. And soon, Jesus and his disciples would travel a couple of miles from Bethany to enter Jerusalem for the Passover. But this time, Jesus would enter in a way that he had never done before. He called two of his followers and gave them these instructions. In verses 30 and 31, he says, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why, you, why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. So to announce that he was, uh, was the Messiah, Jesus chose a time when all Israel would would be gathered at Jerusalem. He chose a place where huge crowds could see him, and he chose a way of proclaiming his mission that was all unmistakable. One has to wonder if the crowds, seeing Jesus riding the donkey heard echoes of the prophet Zechariah in the shouting all around them. Which Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, whether they made that connection or not, we can have little doubt that by riding on the back of a donkey, Jesus was intentionally making a statement. A king doesn't enter uh, a city on foot. On the other hand, kings rode on stallions when they arrived in triumph to announce their their military conquests of a a kingdom or a region or a city. And Jesus rode on a donkey because he came in peace. And Jesus entered Jerusalem with this ragtag army of of fishermen and shepherds and day laborers and, and farmers. He came in peace, right, in a beast of burden. And the procession began a couple of miles outside the city. The closer it came to the, to the city gates, the more it took on the air of a, of a parade of celebration. And with every step, the excitement and energy just grew. The people taken by Jesus' miracles, especially, of course, the, the miracle of Lazarus' escape from death, had been waiting for Jesus to take the throne. And seeing his arrival, the city erupted in cheers and anticipation. Can you hear it? Can you hear the, the, the shouting and the, and the cheering going on as Jesus comes into Jerusalem? Now, the people went wild. They were sure their liberation from the Romans was at hand. No longer did they have to be oppressed by the Roman government. The king had arrived. And the people who were praising God for giving them a king had the wrong idea about Jesus. They expected him to be a national leader who would restore their nation to its former glory, but they were deaf to the words of their prophets and blind to Jesus' real mission. When it became apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfill their hopes, many turned against him. And we see this happening here in these days. Whenever a national tragic situation happens, 9-11 um, shootings that happen, all these horrific situations that go on. We call upon God then to fix the temporal. Jesus, take care of this temporal situation going on right now. Even this midst of uh, of this virus, uh, we, are, we 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 uh, go to Jesus and we, and we ask Him to remove the virus and the problems resulting from it and all the consequences. And you know He probably you know, He can He can. I believe he can do that. But, you know, the consistent message is that Jesus has come to seek and save that which was lost. He leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. He, he, he sweeps the house in search of the one coin. He runs to the prodigal son who has come back. Yeah, he may not fit the expectations we have for him in our temporary situation because his plan is about the eternal. He's looking at our souls and he wants people to come to him, receive him as savior. In verses 39 and 40, the Pharisees thought the crowd's words were sacrilegious and blasphemous. They didn't want someone challenging their power and authority and they didn't want to want a revolt that would bring the Roman army down on them either. So they, they asked Jesus to keep his people quiet. They're making a bunch of noise here. Don't want, to, don't want to raise any Romans against us here. But Jesus said that if the people were quiet, the stones would burst into cheers. And why? Not because Jesus was setting up a powerful political kingdom, but because he was establishing God's eternal kingdom. And it's a reason for the greatest celebration of all. And Matthew in his gospel says that the whole city was stirred. Everyone on the streets cheered in wild celebration. But then we read the description of our Lord's response in verse 41. It says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Now I'm not sure that anyone noticed Jesus' tears at first. But at some point, someone must have seen them. Jesus' weeping involved more than a a tear or two, or or, or a couple of them, a couple of tears. The original language actually gives the sense that his entire body shook with emotion. This was a deep and, and, and soulful sobbing from Jesus. And Jesus came to bring peace, but the people rejected him. And then, and declared war basically. They wasted their opportunity. There is no peace on earth, but there is peace in heaven because of Christ's work on the cross. And there is peace with God for those who trust the Savior. As he thought of the terrible judgments that would come to his people, Jesus wept over the city. In the midst of his tears, he said of the cheering crowds in verses 42 through 44, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What I'd like to do now is to take a look from the view of the donkey here and see why Jesus was weeping. Why did he weep over this city? I believe, first of all, he wept because of the destruction. He wept because of the destruction. Jesus wept because he could see the shadow of death and the shadow of doom hanging over his people. He could hear their pain and cries and their groans, the things they would experience when the Roman army would besiege that city. About 40 years after Jesus said these words, they came true. In 66 AD, the Jews revolted against Roman control, and three years later, A guy named Titus, son of the emperor Vespasian, was sent to crush the rebellion. And Roman soldiers attacked Jerusalem and broke through the northern wall. But still, they couldn't take the city. And finally, they laid siege to it. And in 70 AD, they were able to enter the severely weakened city and burned it. 600,000 Jews were killed during Titus' onslaught. And now can you imagine why Jesus was weeping? He could see the faces in the crowd, the people who, who blessed him now, but those who would surely curse him at Calvary. Jesus knew all too well the truth that John would later document in 1 John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus wept because of the destruction that he was seeing. Jesus also wept because of the depravity that he saw. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he could hear the cries of those who would be lost forever. Those who would live away from the presence of God forever. Those who would be heading to hell eternally because they rejected their only Savior. The Jewish leaders had rejected their king. They had gone too far. They had refused God's offer of salvation in in Jesus Christ. God visited them himself. And soon their nation would suffer. But God did not turn away from the Jewish people who, who obeyed him. And he continues to offer salvation to the people he loves, both Jews and Gentiles. Salvation is for everyone. Eternal life is within your reach as well. You need to accept it. Accept it while the opportunity is still offered. Because there will come one day where it will be too late when you breathe your last and then we stand before God in the judgment. Jesus wept because of the depravity that he saw. He also wept because of what was demanded. What was demanded. I believe Jesus wept over the price to be paid for our sins. He saw what had to happen. He knew what needed to be done. To be the sacrificial lamb, that perfect unblemished lamb for our sins. And the separation from God that was going to happen. His heavenly father because of taking on the sins of the world. Remember, he went. He prayed that prayer in the garden, Lord, that you take this cup from me. But then he also prayed, not my will, but your will be done. He knew what was to come. He knew what he was going to be experiencing. The rejection, the scorn of God's people upon Jesus. The torturous trail to the cross. All that they did to him and that his body endured. He knew all that was coming down as he sat upon that donkey and wept for the city. He wept because of what was demanded. So he wept because of the destruction. He wept because of the depravity. He also wept because of what was demanded of him in all of this. This is the view Jesus had from the donkey. And what seemed to break his heart the most Was the view he had of the people there? We need that same perspective. And in order to get that perspective, we need to see what Jesus sees. We need to get the view from on top of the donkey. Jesus still weeps today. He weeps for Jerusalem, he weeps for our nation, he weeps for our city, he weeps for our community. And for every single person who rejects Him and rejects the forgiveness and the love He gives through the power of the cross. I find myself weeping at times. Any certain movies or songs that I might uh, hear or see usually do me in. I try to fight it. Try to, you know, I'm a man, don't need to cry. I remind myself that it's just a movie. It's just a song. But those, those movies and those songs usually remind me of real-life situations. And then I'm weeping because of situations and people in my life. You now, For some of you, something is blocking your tears. Maybe you're just that kind of person who could watch the movie Old Yeller or, or maybe the first 10 minutes of the movie Up without ever shedding a tear. I would suggest that you need to get a view from the donkey. (laughs) Climb up and see what Jesus sees. You might not physically shed a tear, but you could understand why Jesus would weep and why we also too need to be be broken for the people. Are you a crier? Do you easily weep? Don't apologize for it. Don't cover it up. Consider your tears a blessing from God because you remain emotionally sensitive to those around you. And usually, an emotional response triggers an active response. Doing something about the situation. Meeting a need. Who do you weep for? Do you weep for anyone? We obviously couldn't be there in that parade to greet Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, but we can join him today. We can praise him with our hosannas, and we can weep with him over those who are lost. In our weeping, we pray that everyone will see in the power of the cross, the glory of Jesus' humility. Our Lord will not force himself on anyone. Still, he invites us today to join in his procession, and then one glorious day, one day, we will join a much larger multitude, one uh, one that uh, will come together. Uh, one, no one can no, uh, no one can can count, be too numerous, and we'll be waving our palm branches in joy and in love. Revelation chapter seven, verses nine and ten speak about this. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the day we look forward to. That's the day we are reminded that all of this is worth it as the reward that we're going to have in heaven. That's what we anticipate in our journey as Christians. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Make it the day. But until then, until then, we need to have a view from the donkey and see people as Jesus sees them. People created in the image of God, loved by Him, and in need of a Savior. There's one more uh, tidbit of information about the donkey that I'd like to share with you. It's a legend of the donkey. Maybe you've heard of it before. But legend tells us that the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday followed Him to Calvary. And appalled by the sight of Jesus on the cross, the donkey turned away but could not leave. And it's said that the shadow of the cross fell upon the shoulders and the back of the donkey. And that's why donkeys today had that pattern on their backs, the pattern of the cross. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That's why they call it a legend. (laughs) But what I do know is that there are people in this world who are scared, people in this world who are lost, people in this world who who are without hope. And we who have met Jesus at the cross and received his salvation have the message of hope imprinted upon our lives and we need to be his ambassadors conveying the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and has risen from the dead and that tomb is empty but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> That's the message for next Sunday. But I hope that we can get a view from the donkey. Get a view from the donkey and see what Jesus sees. Be moved in your heart and do something about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just continue to remind us that as we look at people around us, we need to see them as you see them. And those people who don't have you as Savior, we need to see them and weep over them and pray for them that they would receive you as Lord and Savior, that they would see their need for you. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in our lives that we know of and we can name them, Lord, that we would pray for them by name and that they would come to realize their need for you as Savior. Lord, we ask that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. And help us, Lord, to realize that we need to see others like you see them. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this Palm Sunday, an opportunity to be reminded of what is important. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to have your eyes to see the situation like you see it and respond as you would want us to respond. We love you, Lord.